Hello and welcome to Glossy's Week in Review podcast. I'm Jill Manoff, Glossy's Editor-in-Chief, filling in as the main host for Danny Parisi. And filling my spot is Zofia Zbiglinska, Glossy's reporter covering tech and sustainability. Welcome, Zofia. Hi, great to be back on. So happy we've never done this before. Hey, mm. this will be fun. <laughs> Yeah, we've got a full show today. We're going to talk about all things that went down on Tuesday. That was the exciting day of the week. So uh, first, we'll touch on LVMH earnings, uh, which turned out some pretty impressive numbers considering the state of the world and some changes they've made. Uh, Also, Lululemon brought in resale. Uh, Resale, uh, as you know, our sustainability expert catching on among brands and retailers across the board. We'll talk about your NFT day experience that happened in Paris. And then I'm going to give a little mini recap of what went down at the Beauty Leaders Dinner. Um, It's something that Glossy does periodically. Executives talk through challenges, the industry's direction, everything that they're seeing and what's weighing on their mind. So that was glamorous and fabulous. And thank you if you if you attended. Uh, yeah, let's start with the LVMH earnings. Hey, what were some highlights for you? Um, well, obviously, the, the kind of expected earnings versus, you know, what actually came up was a big, big surprise. I mean, I think that beating analyst expectations of like the 17% versus the 30% that actually came up um, was a really big number. And I think it was quite interesting as well that, you know, the jewelry section was quite a big one um, for for the house. And, you know, watches and jewelry are also targeting younger customers. So they're, they're seeing a kind of different dimension, to be honest. I think it's quite interesting that the they're getting into that space more, especially in in Asia. And I'm guessing they're going to be doing it more in the US too. For sure. Yeah. Watches are so having a moment. I'm seeing more brands um, launch watches, even I guess more costume jewelry, less fine jewelry. I just heard Kendra Scott did so. Um, But yeah, really this 19% boost in fine jewelry and watches driven by Tiffany. It's teaming with all of these Gen Z influencers, including K-pop stars. So uh, it's definitely a different play for them. And it has been since, gosh, maybe over a year now. Um, So it's resonating. And as for, I guess, the fashion and leather goods division, like you said, 30% year-over-year increase in revenue um, that was really boosted by great growth across Dior, Celine, also Fendi. There's been continued demand for Louis Vuitton despite these price increases. Um, Yes. Is that to be expected? Yeah, I mean, I think so. And uh, to be honest, the the price increases are going to keep happening. I mean, they've said that they're going to be in line with kind of the the expected kind of market growth, but it is obviously something that people will have to account for. And, you know, there's been a lot of issues as to um, which brands right now are kind of doing that um, and what they're doing with it. So seeing those, you know, Dior kind of still having that reigning moment um, you know, continuing that, I think, probably again boosted by the Asian market is is very, uh, very telling of kind of where that's going to go. For sure. It's interesting. It's kind of like how high can we go? We keep seeing Chanel raise prices, raise prices. Um, It was reported that overall the luxury luxury prices in the last six months have increased 8%. Louis Vuitton and Tiffany, for their part, have increased their prices 20 to 23%. In the last six months, so since September-ish, um, which it's pretty, <laughs> pretty That's drastic. That's huge. Yeah. Right? 
<laughs> I thought yeah. so. Um, and you you mentioned China a lot. So there were a lot of reports on these reports um, that kind of despite the Russia-Ukraine war, despite China lockdowns, um, they're still seeing this great growth. But um, I know it was mentioned, we probably won't see that till second quarter earnings, right? Yeah, definitely. I think the the whole kind of China lockdown thing, especially, is is really hitting people. I know that there's been, you know, quarantines within um, within homes and within apartment complexes. So there's very few opportunities right now. I think for for shopping, and if that is going to have an effect, it will definitely have one in the next quarter. For sure. Yes. Um, Along with shutting stores um, in China, that started March 15th. Um, they reported they closed probably 15 to 25 percent of their stores across LVMH in all of China, um, which, like you said, we'll see it. And then also in, in Russia, Ukraine, um, LVMH closed stores in Russia. 120 boutiques was the reported number that that included, but um they said even next quarter that may not reflect in their earnings that Russia only accounts for 1% of their global sales as it stands. So um, that, meh, we'll see. <laughs> we <laughs> shall see. Um, but yeah, anything else stand out to you? Do we expect in China lockdown, lockdown starting? Um, there was some kind of poo-pooing of the idea that kind of revenge shopping will take off. Um, mm. Yeah, what do you expect after, I guess, the world open, reopens there? Yeah, definitely. It's it's actually quite interesting. I've seen reports that um, the luxury kind of houses are still courting the you know highest kind of um, spenders um, with specific kind of gift packages and boxes, even when they're in lockdown. So I expect that that kind of relationship and you know possibly goods will also be transported in that way. Um, we'll see, obviously, depending on severity and if there are another you know, other outbreaks, um, whether that is going to be possible. But I think, you know, with the agility that even luxury brands have had to, you know, display in it because of the pandemic, I think they're going to be adapting and trying to find new ways to to reach those, you know, big spenders because they're the ones that the whole kind of brand relies on in a sense. For sure. Well, this was the first luxury house conglomerate to report earnings in this uh, earnings season. Next week, we'll see caring. Do you expect that we'll have, we'll see similar results across the board? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think if anything, caring might even have better results. Um, I think that, you know, LVMH has had great schemes, but I do think caring has really pushed, you know, the envelope with with certain things Um this this year and you know this quarter i think that they've had you know resonating growth the fact that you know europe is opening up slowly and they they're also going to have you know uk numbers and us slowly as well it is going to be boosted definitely and i'm looking forward to to seeing how their their metaverse section is also mentioned within the earnings report i'll see if that's if that's something they're going to highlight yeah, overall caring, you'd say more adventurous, more um, innovative on the, the metaverse NFT front, yeah? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was something that the, you know, the the Gregory Boot, um, who's their chief client and digital officer who was at the Paris NFT Day, he was talking about how, you know, caring is very much looking forward to taking that initiative to not being, you know, one of those wait and see luxury brands. So um, it's definitely something that I think they're going to keep pushing. 
Yeah, you mentioned that in your story, luxury's uh, reputation as being slow to evolve on all things, including e-commerce. Hopefully, <laughs> this will change as, as they go there and they're quick, quick and nimble, which is, yes, out of the ordinary. Anything else to add on LVMH? I am in like reporter mode, Sophia. I'm, I'm quizzing <laughs> you. <laughs> but yeah, you're... No, it, it's brilliant. I mean, uh, I'd love to kind of dig into them more. I, need, I know that all of the you know, price increases are especially kind of telling. I think that it's showing that the current market right now is not quite where it should be and that luxury is kind of having to adapt and put that cost on on the consumers. And, you know, with, with resale and other kind of ventures growing um, outside of luxury, it might also accelerate that market because the original products will have also increased in price. I know that a lot of, you know, vintage and kind of older editions are becoming more popular. So brands are also having to contend with that Um, and setting those prices higher. I mean, I don't know, maybe it will be something that's more attractive to customers or perhaps it would be something that might deter them and push them more towards those resale platforms. Yes, there's definitely, there was mention of uh, the price increases reflect what's happening in the business. Of course, they're going to say that Um, growth did slow a bit from Q4, um, but you know, still impressive, I would say. But you had a great segue into our next topic of resale, which um, Lululemon announced a program that it piloted last year in Texas and California uh, that's called Like New. Nothing really out of the ordinary, I guess, in terms of what other brands and retailers are doing. A lot of brands are teaming with ThreadUp to be their resale as a service platform. Um, Lululemon is teaming with Trove in this in this program. Um, but yeah, I mean, high level, what it's doing, bring in your gently used or like new uh, Lululemon gear. You get 5% store credit for tank tops, shirts, various separates, uh, $10, did I say percent? $5. $10 for leggings, uh, $25 for outer outerwear, um, which that's great. I feel, I mean, it's for store credit. Um, and then, yeah, offering resale for the first time on their e-commerce site, in their stores, Um, which, I mean, Lululemon, you got to keep that brand, I guess, appeal. Like if you're going to sell, people want the brand and that's why it makes sense why they may come to you for a more, just like luxury, right? Like for the Lululemon stamp on their leggings, it kind of makes sense in this capacity. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of all this? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Lululemon, you know, if you think about athleisure and, you know, athletic gear in general, if you're talking about certain brands, I think, you know, Lululemon is kind of one of those top end ones that um, definitely has a bit more kind of quality built in. I think it's one of those that customers gravitate to because they know the name um, and it will be something that, you know, will be probably be more popular on resale. So I think having something like that there where they're actually keeping those garments in circulation um, and, you know, reselling them to to other people and possibly, you know, getting them, keeping them at that stage, which is, you know, a really big kind of aspect with sustainability is that while, you know, recycling and everything is great, if you can keep them at that same kind of stage um, where they're still in that market rather than degrading that quality rather than turning that material into something else it's actually better for it and it's interesting to see athleisure turn into it because obviously there's so many concerns with sustainability and materials um when it comes to plastics that are made out uh, sorry when it comes to materials that are made out of plastics and plastic bottles um which is what a lot of you know leggings and athletic gear 
especially right now, um, is made out of. So it's it's interesting to see them get into it. And obviously, they're not the first brand um, who got into it. I know Fabletics did um, go into that kind of resale aspect last year as well. So it seems to be something that might be picking up and perhaps other brands like Nike, Adidas, um, or even, you know, someone who might be more in that luxury space, like Girlfriend Collective potentially could also go into that. Um, just because it's that same area. And, you know, if you're talking about leggings, unless, you know, you're extremely, I don't know, if you if you use your, your leggings a lot, um, I don't think there's a risk of them, you know, tearing or ripping. So they are quite long-term um, garments, essentially, you know, as long as you can keep taking care of them, um, they are definitely something that can have, you know, multiple lives and multiple uses with different people. So it's interesting to see them go into it, especially in the US market where, you know, athleisure is probably a really big thing, like much bigger than it is in the Europe and, and in the UK. <laughs> I'm like, it is a very big thing. <laughs> yes, for sure. And you, you mentioned something so interesting about the um, the quality. Like nobody, no brand's going to launch resale if every single description is like, there's pilling all over. That's And that's why it's more affordable. Like, do you think that some of these resale programs are going to, as brands see what's coming in, maybe they're approving items or sending them back or just sending them off to recycling, not making any money at all because it's shabby at this point. Um, I don't, Have you heard that anybody's really like updating their production or or their quality it would make sense to me um I think in other markets I have I haven't seen it in athleisure yet and maybe that's an area that I would need to dig into a little bit more but I would think that you know there are definitely certain materials there which are more kind of tightly woven or or something which is a little bit more kind of long lasting which would be okay but there would be definitely products you know which are made out of cheaper cotton um, or mixes that might not have that kind of longevity that you're looking for and, you know, might also inform um, production at these companies. They could potentially review the materials that are coming back to them and seeing which ones are lasting and which ones are not. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, somebody mentioned, speaking of those signature leggings, this is the price difference. So everyone knows they're originally 118. Um, I think the like new or the yes, version 69 the gently used pair 59 um i mean that's a good that's a good markdown and then all of the profits are going to their sustainability commitments lululemons so um i didn't actually know they had all of these commitments in place um for 2025 and 2030 um circular ecosystem um all sustainable materials do you think of lululemon as a sustainable brand I that doesn't come to mind for me first of all I mean is it just like I mean this is par for the course every brand has these commitments uh Mm. maybe they're longer term than they should be (laughs) how do they stack up I mean most of the fashion companies do have goals for 2025 it seems like that's a kind of general target but yeah I mean athleisure in general as a section and lululemon as well it doesn't strike me as a particularly sustainable company um whether that's because of the materials that you're producing from a largely synthetic so essentially you know to to get those kind of performance abilities for sports clothing you need to kind of integrate um or you need to some most of them do um you need to integrate synthetic materials and that that doesn't bode well for sustainability it's something that you know does um affect the the way that the that garment kind of ages decomposes um well rather it doesn't decompose but it definitely you know degenerates um as it gets older 
potential, you know, elastic snapping and things like that. And um, that also ends up with microfibers, which are shed into the water system as they're washed. So there's a lot of things to go into that. And to be honest, it's, it's very interesting to see athleisure try and tackle that by, by keeping items in circulation. But I do think they're going to have to do a lot more to, to make sure that their items are truly sustainable and, and by that, you know, decomposable ones which are able to, to biodegrade rather than, you know, made from recycled plastic bottles, which have, you know, already been proven to be a, a bad kind of material source, diverting them from an infinite kind of loop cycle uh, into one where essentially the, the material is, is worse quality wise. Yes. Similar note, um, in terms of misinformation or wrong, wrongly directed f- efforts. Let's talk about Earth Day because this this launches on April twenty second, um, timed with Earth Day. Um, I think that brands a lot of times like feel the need to address it and to say this is what we're doing. I would feel like not that Lululemon is doing this. This would open a lot of um, opportunity for maybe like greenwashing intentional or not um, because everybody's trying to do something (laughs) right now maybe you haven't before Um, anyway tell me about Earth Day in terms of are you just seeing initiatives across the board initiatives and and is resale really the go-to this year yeah I think resale would definitely be um, the the kind of go-to um, I think that it's also something that is affecting, you know, multiple markets in fashion. It's not something where it's just denim, for example, or just swimwear um, or just athleisure. I think everyone is trying to do something. And, you know, as legislation is currently starting to to, to kind of get into um, into the fashion industry, you know, you have all of these certifications and things that are coming from, from the brands, but also you're going to have a lot more kind of oversight on that. And I think that that's something that brands are going to have to prioritize you know even as a sustainability reporter I wouldn't say that my inbox at the moment is filled with um a lot of kind of good projects in that space I have seen a couple in in the denim space which look like they are kind of truly circular um and I think there's maybe some which are kind of focused on on other materials and kind of biomaterials which I think are really interesting as an area um, but it's it's definitely something that is is growing. I'm just not quite sure if it's done the right way. I think brands are still not doing enough research into what materials they're using, um, which is essentially the most important part of the the whole kind of sustainability journey. Because most brands, you know, the main thing you're doing is producing product, and if that product itself isn't sustainable, then you're just passing on things which, you know, consumers will not be able to, to handle it in terms of kind of making sure that that's disposed in in the correct way whenever you're, you know, throwing it out or reusing it or whatever. So, yeah, there's there's a lot going on there. And I think Earth Day in some ways is it's a difficult challenge for someone in the, in the sustainability space because while obviously it's good to bring awareness to it, I do think that, you know, it's it's an excuse as well to... Um, to highlight green credentials and I think the most of the times when when I'm talking to to brands I always have to dig in quite deep as to what materials they're using exactly what they're doing specifically like it it takes a lot to to get through all of that um, initial kind (laughs) of language and uh, conversations to to get to the actual problem at hand or to whatever uh, solution they actually have come up with so yeah it's a lot (laughs) 
<laughs> the moral of the story is when you talk to Zofia with your sustainability initiative, she's going to grill you and be ready to answer questions. <laughs> um, for sure. <laughs> exactly. <But laughs> tell me about NFT Day. I had FOMO. It looks spectacular. You made the trip, the trek to Paris. Um, yeah. What were the, the highlights there? Yeah, absolutely. So NFT Day was part of the Paris Blockchain Week, which happened from Tuesday this week. And I think it's on until Friday. So fashion had like a, a relatively small role, I would say, in the general um, week or at the NFT day specifically. There was a, a booth for the luxury fashion space, which was taken up by uh, Metaverse and DressX, who are doing a kind of AR exhibition there. Um, and that was quite fun. Um, but obviously, it would have been great to, to see a couple more brands there. In terms of the kind of key takeaway from the, the panels and, you know, the events that were going down, a lot of the speakers were highlighting how important kind of community building is within the NFT space. Um, I think I, I, I've gone into an article, launched that today, um, going into exactly what they were saying and, and kind of how that relates to, you know, what is currently going on in the NFT space. But essentially it comes down to, you know, offering perks and access and adding these kind of exclusive features that make, you know, certain projects unique to, to those brands. I think that's a key takeaway. Um, and obviously, you know, with, with so many different NFT projects launching, I, I think a lot of these brands are seeing it as kind of like a short-term thing um, and it definitely needs to come with you know a long-term vision a long-term plan for for many brands I think you know it's it's something that they want to go into but maybe they're not quite ready to yet so learning from projects which are doing it well right now which you know are, at the moment I would say Gucci would be the main one just because they brought in such a, a huge element of like storytelling into their partnership with um with Wagmi-san, who's been kind of turning these little profile pictures into Gucci-fied or, you know, giving them little outfits, which is really nice. And I think gives them unique features that um, adds a lot more kind of value to um, to those NFTs. Finally, um, you know, when it comes to access, like making sure that, you know, the right people are kind of whitelisted for projects and whitelisting, you know, is something that I go into in the article. But it's essentially, you know, a, a VIP access list the same way that you would have for, you know, specific projects um, for the fashion space or something that you're working on um, for an event. I think sometimes now these NFT projects are kind of starting to be integrated with um, the physical space. So they're almost acting as like an access key. So if you have this NFT, you're able to go to this physical event. And I think Gucci are actually launching a party, which is either yet to happen or has happened already. Um, and I think that gives, you know, users a kind of physical component, which is quite hard to do um, in, in the NFT space unless you're actually offering a physical garment as part of those, you know, exclusives that go with that NFT. And then finally, um, you know, with NFTs being quite a, cash grab environment it can mean that a lot of the times people just end up buying them and then reselling them over and over again and you don't really get that that kind of community feel that you end up having with you know something a little bit more long term so for those kind of true I would say NFT aficionados um they're they're people who you know who really want to kind of hold on to NFTs that have value for them so if those communities are interesting, if, you know, the exclusives that they add are valuable, 
then it means that, you know, you've got something where users won't want to flip that NFT. They won't want to resell it. They'll just want to keep it just to be part of, you know, what's coming next. And I think that, you know, anticipation, that loyalty is something that's really key with with the best NFT projects at the moment. Yeah, I I think that access, that exclusive perks, access, exclusives, anything that is key to making NFTs happen. <laughs> like for somebody like me, like I said, I have FOMO all the time. Um, I, <laughs> I thought it was interesting that you mentioned like um, Glossy is a fan of Ian Rogers. He spoke, former uh, Ian, former di- chief digital officer at LVMH. Um, and he also spoke about someone we're a fan of, Bobby Hundreds. I didn't know that Bobby Hundreds had something called the Atom Bomb Squad. Um, and, and it's just, it's so cool. I, I did some investigating after I read your story, which read Sophia's story on the site now. Um, but yeah, tell me about that and what, what makes it, I guess, a draw, why that one is taking off um, and has earned Ian's approval. Yeah, of course. So Ian is a long-term kind of NFT fan holder. Um, he's, you know, obviously former chief digital officer at LVMH, and he's currently doing kind of hardware aspects so, um, for the NFT space. So he's giving kind of crypto keys um, to the community and making them kind of look stylish as a hardware piece. Um, in terms of the Bobby Hundreds, obviously, that is a streetwear brand that is doing really well at the moment in the NFT space with the Adam Bomb Squad which are essential, essentially kind of like the PFP, so like the profile pictures um, that you would have with, with other projects like, um, you know, the Gucci and Wagmi-san one that I mentioned before. Um, with that one, it's essentially little pictures of bombs and skulls. Um, but there's something that, that has kind of really resonated with that streetwear community that Bobby Hundreds has kind of built up. I would say there's a lot of similarities there between, you know, the original kind of fandom with with Supreme, for example. They're just people who are very loyal um, to the brand and kind of to that community. And they seem really engaged. They've done, you know, meetups and things as well. So it does feel like there's a lot of, um, yeah, community building that, that is so important in, in that NFT space. And I think having that and kind of having that link to, to streetwear is something that is really particularly effective just because, you know, majority of the NFT space is particularly male orientated at the moment. Um, and I think that makes a, a big, you know, a big connection, big link between that and streetwear and, you know, the same kind of male kind of fan groups that, that exist in that space. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, if, if that kind of relationship builds up with, with other projects um, which are more kind of female focused, like world of women or something that is specific to, you know, um, to the, the kind of fashion space, but we'll see if that is something that, that is coming. Yeah, I thought I keep talking about how you mentioned it was a a male fest, the NFT day, definitely (laughs) male, male dominated. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, of course there were, um, there was still like a small female community, but I do think that, you know, it's, it's nowhere near approaching that kind of 50, 50, um, aspect, which which it should be, you know, because the digital space is is open to everyone. And I think keeping that, you know, inclusion and diversity first um, is also something that's going to be key when when looking at kind of how people are going to be developing in, in the metaverse as well. Yeah. In terms of the hundreds, uh, we during the editing process, we were going back and forth because you were talking about it needs to have a value proposition. Um, and you were talking about the brand. And I just assumed you were talking about the NFT, but it makes perfect sense for a brand that has a built-in community already thinks that 
thinking they're cool to for their NFTs to take off. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, there's obviously huge NFT propositions, like, you know, all of those value ads and things. But I think, you know, something that um that Gregory Boot said, you know, who's who's from Caring, he was saying that it's something that the brand needs to really, you know, zone in on what its identity is, what are the kind of features it can offer and only that brand can offer. So it's something that that, you know, brands really need to dig into and they can't just be replicating what others are doing because I think it makes for a, a lackluster community and once people are not involved it, it kind of pitters out and then you don't have an NFT project that goes beyond you know minting which is just the the process of um of completing that that kind of transaction keeping it as an NFT so yeah it's it's definitely something that you know brands just need to think about a little bit more and maybe it would be better for them if they took their time and kind of went into those things a little bit more before you know launching their first project and thinking long term totally well we're running out of time i'm go- i promised to mention the beauty leaders dinner but i'm just going to give some high level which this was not male dominated this was female dominated <laughs> we did have some two two guys in the house but um yeah something that we just did um on tuesday we bring together leaders in the space to kind of talk through what they're seeing and i'm always so like blown away about this this beauty community and how everybody knows everybody but anyway it was just an amazing t- time and some of the the challenges um, that I picked up on right now, um, just so y'all know, you're not alone. Um, hiring, of course, um, hiring um, a remote team, maintaining that culture, also customer acquisition as Facebook um, and privacy rules change. Um, what are people doing to retain, acquire and retain, retain shoppers? Um supply chain, everything we've been talking about today with inflation. Um, I thought it was interesting that um, some of the brands that were there, um, big brands, well-known brands, popular brands were saying they have not yet increased their prices. They really, really, really don't want to go there. There was a conversation about like, you may want to rethink that. Now's the time to do it. The customer is very forgiving um, and understanding. That's what they're finding. Um and marketing and social media was also a big topic. Um, everybody, most everybody, you they have somebody dedicated to TikTok. They are looking for somebody that's going to lead TikTok. They can't find the right person for TikTok. So um, there was talk about putting in a job description. Um, we're looking for a comedic writer as opposed to like a beauty expert. They want somebody who's funny and young. Um and they don't care about that beauty expertise necessarily. Um, they can help steer them in that direction. Um, and then last but not least, just fundraising. Um, there was a lot of talk about not having the time, having big aspirations, big goals. Maybe some of these leaders are too in the weeds to to look up and be able to think forward right now when it's such a stressful time. Um, and other highlights, and then we'll we'll call it a day, that um, 18 months is the new three months in terms of lead time um, when it comes to bringing a product to market. And so there was talk about um, new pressures being on the marketer where they have 18 months to maybe plan out that campaign and that rollout. What does it look like? Um, and after 18 months, like there's no letting something fizzle. Like it has to, it has to be impactful. It has to um, almost carry the brand for a bit. Um, so that was also a hot, hot topic. Zofia, this was so good. Thanks for being here. 
Yeah, and that beauty dinner looked amazing. So congrats on that. Thanks so much. It was fancy, you know. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, just for everybody, definitely a reminder to please rate and review the Glossy Podcast on whatever platform you use. It really does help us a lot. And make sure to subscribe. Not only will you hear Week in Review every Friday, but I'll be interviewing fashion industry insiders every Wednesday. And up next is Fanny Moisant. She is the co-founder and president of Vestier Collective uh, that just made a huge acquisition. So check that out. <laughs>